Hi everybody, welcome back to Estranged. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a discussion with the New York-based psychoanalyst Carlos Padron about identity, questions of identity, what psychoanalysis has to tell us about identity. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do too. I thought I'd just take a second to make a quick announcement. I am about to start, about to release a new podcast series with Benjamin Studebecker and Nina Power. It is called The Lack, and we will be discussing works of art, works of fiction, political theory, ideas, um, from our respective positions as a filmmaker, political theorist and philosopher. I will be releasing the first episode on this channel uh, when it comes out, maybe next week or the week after, uh, just to point you guys towards it, because I think you might enjoy it. We will be continuing with Estranged. Adrian and I will uh, meet over here on this channel, probably less regularly than we have done before, um, but it will be a place to have maybe a bit more of an informal conversation about uh, the things we've always had conversations about but it'll be maybe a bit less theoretical and a bit more fun. Anyway, that's all for my little announcement. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and I hope you enjoy the episodes to come. Welcome back to Estranged. It's been a couple of weeks. Excited to um, have another conversation with a guest today. Today we have a psychoanalyst with us, a real life bona fide psychoanalyst from New York, uh, Carlos Padron, which yes. is like, it's like Godfather, right? In the... With T, Padron. Like, that would be like a Godfather, like a, like a, like a, a Colombian uh you know, the, drug, <laughs> drug, drug, drug lord. So, right. just, what does what does Padron mean? Is it like? I don't. I I think it used to be the. I think it it means. Um, it used to like like um, these these structures that used to measure. Oh, I like see. Dis distances between. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know, in a in a road, for example. Yeah. Uh, but but I don't know if it's related to Patron. They always <laughs> always connected with Patron. And it's oh, it's like <laughs> Godfather is like a drug lord. It's like, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the, the psychoanalytic drug lord, no. Um <laughs> but we, we met we met via Instagram. There's there's some um like a growing number of of like psychoanalytic Instagram pages that are some of them are quite good, you know. There's some interesting posts and interesting insights that people share, and yeah, yeah. I think it's I. I didn't. I started it because I I was invited to write a uh, essay for psychoanalytic psychology. That's a journal mm -hmm. on the pandemic, on my experience <laughs> during the pandemic. So I thought I wanted to kind of like organize my thoughts in a kind of like a diary way. Yeah, and I and I wanted to have that exercise. So I started writing them on the Instagram page. Uh, and then now the actually the journal is coming out and it's coming, my piece is coming out in the form of a journal actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, or, or a diary or a diary more specifically. So so that's why I, why I started it. I just write there, you know, thoughts that I have during the day, instead of writing them down on the paper, I write them down there. 
and I've started to get, you know, followers and people that comment, but it wasn't my intention to like teach anybody anything or mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, build community in any way, but it yeah. ended up meeting really nice, you know, interesting people like you. And that, that was kind of like a byproduct, but it wasn't, it wasn't my original intention. Do you know, it's funny because um, I sometimes think that people have like a misconception about like psychoanalysis, that it's sort of a quietist, introspective kind of, well, you know, kind of exercise when actually it is sort of a, an exercise in dialoguing with a kind of public. And I've kind of found like, you know, I'm not like um, a really out there, like outgoing person or anything, but with when I set up this podcast with Adrian, part of what it became was like an exercise in us like publicly working out what we thought about things, you know, so it's not like yes. we were coming with a set of ideas. It was more like, you know, over the course, it's been like two years since we run this podcast. It was sort of like, you no, know, you, you come to realize what your position is, but you can only really do it. I think, um, you know, as in there's something about like, obviously, you know, the, the human psyche is not just the conscious mind and stuff. And so obviously you know, when you're just introspective, you don't really, necessarily um have the facility to find out what you really think oh, but that believe, maybe they're like i believe less and less on introspection yeah uh, uh well i think any analyst would be very suspicious of introspection mm -hmm. because you're an interested party you see yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and and in within the realm of your mind like anything is possible mm -hmm. uh, I, and you're right i find that my i can find the true extent of what i'm able to think by writing it or, or mm -hmm. talking about it. Mm -hmm. Everything else is this fantasy world for me. You keep <laughs> there and it's like, oh, you, you, come, you, you have a dialogue with yourself and oh, mm -hmm. I can do this, I can do that. It's like the realm of omnipotence, uh, which is, can be very dangerous and it can lead to a lot of paralysis in people. People tend to, tend to relate creativity with just mm -hmm. having you know, creative thoughts and ideas in their mind but the actual creativity or the, the, the needs um, some form of resistance, right? Some form mm -hmm. of matter that offers resistance to your thought. And that's, in that struggle is where you find the true extent of what you can think or what you can imagine. And that's for me, is creativity. The rest is just people having, you know, current, uh, you know, funny thoughts or out of the ordinary thoughts. I mean, which everybody has. I mean, that's my yeah. job. Everybody has, every, every, everybody has the most, the person that you is seemingly most normal is going to have a, a weird thought. But that's, for me, it's not, um, you know, creativity in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, 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 I'm very suspicious of, of introspection and of every, and, 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 and contemporary versions of introspection, uh, which you can see in social media, for example, mm -hmm. where one example can be, you know, people always saying, oh, you have to do the work. I'm, I'm engaged in the work of my healing. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm engaged in working uh, in my, with, my, with my inner racist. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you do that work. I mean, I've always imagined it's like, well, people, it's like they're like in this cabin in the middle of the woods and they're just really, you know, like, thinking really hard against themselves. Why am I a racist or why am I this or why am I that? And I said, in that way, you're going to be able to purge yourself of everything that you don't want to, or you're going to discover, have a sudden insight. I think it's actually in 
it's the opposite. I think it's in, in engagement with people, with real people, and mm -hmm. with the world. Uh, if we talk about if we talk about racism, I just came to mind because well, it's just mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a it's a very uh, pressing uh, issue right now, and uh, it's an engagement with people, real people that yeah. you, you can work on on yourself. It's not this private. There's fantasies of privacy, I think, nowadays. Exactly. No, I think the fantasy of, the, of privacy is like this really capitalist <clears throat> thing. Like everything, as long as there's a secluded sort of private space, there's always the threat of encroachment. But like, you know, capitalism is all about like erecting arbitrary like um, boundaries or things that can be discovered or something you know as long as we break this boundary down we can get to some utopian new thing but it's like almost if you just if you just like just offering yourself up to the public then like that that already eliminates sort of that that whole mode but it is interesting and sort of frustrating I find that like and it must be really annoying as a psychoanalyst or maybe you're like less less sort of precious about it than I would be that like you know, the, the way that this sort of therapy culture that has evolved over the, you know, the last part of the 20th century is almost like precisely the opposite of the way that like real kind of psychoanalysis functions. This sort yeah. of like, um, as you say, healing journey, like um, working on yourself, how you feel, you know, obviously feelings are important, but like, yeah, yeah. you, the sort of solipsistic, um, and it, like this magical thinking thing that like as long as you can magically um, tweak your mode of thinking. You know, I, I see this a lot with, you know, there's obviously modalities like CBT and stuff, which maybe can like help a lot of people in certain situations. But this whole thing of like real emphasis on as long as you change your tweak, your little neurons or tweak your little um, feelings towards something or yeah, how you think about something. I mean, I think like manifestation is like the precise you know, zenith of this, like, yeah. and I actually have found that psychoanalysis has really helped me. Um, I, I got into maybe a little bit of magical thinking by doing a form of analysis that I don't think is analysis, actually. And then this, you know, what you might think of as this introspective time actually does the opposite and gets you to re-engage properly in a more material way with people and in the world. Yes. And actually precisely to like, think more logically and be more kind of like material and rational and like <laughs> interacting with the way things are. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's not that I have anything against self-reflection. I think you mm -hmm. have to think about yourself and, and, and even more important than think about yourself is to think against yourself. I always yeah. believe that because <laughs> people are, uh, the, the issue with, 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 with this kind of like solipsistic idea of introspection is that, mm -hmm you tend to think that you're always right, right? So what's more difficult is to think against yourself, to think, to be a little uh, skeptical, to kind of like uh, do the exercise of what someone else might think about what you're thinking, et cetera. There's a space for that. But I think that in the sense of like this, uh, producing structural changes in a person, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, in the person's, the structure of the person's suffering, somebody who's suffering, right? I think it's important mm -hmm. people who come to analysis, they usually come because there's some form of suffering, mm -hmm. uh, something that's not right in their lives, right? So I think that that kind of, 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 um, of, of change, right? Mm -hmm. That people are, are looking for 
even if on the surface they want a quick fix, right? A, because all these things are internalized, right? The, this idea that, you know, I want, I have this problem, I have a depression, give me a solution. Tell me mm -hmm. how to get out of this depression, right? But I think that at some level, people know that, that this, it's, these things are not that easy. Um, yeah. And they're wanting, for, they're wanting something more, but they feel that perhaps, you know, the current culture is not, these, this is not available, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's there, so it has a space. But I do think that these, this structural change can only happen, I think it's in an encounter with another person. Mm -hmm. uh, in, an, in another person. I think that nowadays there's this, uh, there's this fixation with, I, I'm going to say something, you know, I, I, that might be a little polemical, but, but. Disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> that there's a lot of fixation with, with, of personal boundaries and, mm -hmm. and, and identity. And I, the, the, the thing is that I, I, boundaries and identity have their place and they mm -hmm. have their place most importantly in human development in, yeah. in ordinary life. I'm not saying that it's not important. I'm, I'm analyzing as a cultural, more overarching phenomenon as a symptom of our times. And then mm -hmm. you can see, for example, in social media where there's a lot about you know, boundary setting, setting a boundary here. There's a lot of talk about that. Even people who say, I've seen an Instagram, they claim to be experts on boundaries. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah. that, what that means, right? To be an expert on boundaries. So... <laughs> <laughs> a border guard. One of, like, the main character in this film. Exactly, right? <laughs> in this film, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, can, we can talk about it. But there's this, this idea, it starts to, to sound like it... It, it can lead to like a, what I think in two terms, two, two senses. Mm -hmm. One is like an individual version of nationalism, mm -hmm. right? It's like now you're creating boundaries now within the scope of your, you know, your psyche, soma, your body. And it's like you're a little country, you're a nation state now unto yourself. Your subjectivity is modeled according to, to, the, to, the, to the nation state. Yeah. And the other thing is what the I or the other version is what we were talking about before, which is this privatization of subjectivity. And yeah. I think, right? And I think this closes people to experiences of, you know, potentially, you know, uh, building uh, points of contact with people who are different from you, uh, building. Uh, bridges of solidarity amongst mm -hmm. people that that you know might not share let's say your identity for example so i think it it is it can tend to be uh politically speaking now uh a dead end i think mm -hmm. it, it yeah. prevents from the creation of what i think and i come from latin america mm -hmm. uh so i we can speak about that in a sense i come from the future because yeah. i've been through uh through uh, what it means to be under authoritarian regimes yeah. and, and, and these kinds of things yeah. where, um, where that are tend to be the product mm -hmm. of this, uh, what would be the word, this, this, uh, I have the word in Spanish. Well, like uh, authoritarian or? That it tends, that I think author authoritarian figures 
mm -hmm. tend to, to rise on a yeah. drum, for example, when these channels of, of solidarity amongst people yeah, absolutely. begin to be undermined. And they absolutely. begin to be undermined when people start to become atomistic, they atomize mm -hmm. themselves and separate themselves, yeah. which leads also to a undermining of the political, broadly speaking. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Because Absolutely. I think the political is that space when mm -hmm. we're talking about that public space mm -hmm. of confrontation, contradiction, yeah. uh, uh, etc. When this, when people be, for good reasons, many times become uh, tired of this, or they say, I don't, I want nothing to do with this. I just want to live in my own life. Mm -hmm. In the, the experience of Venezuela, I think at least mm -hmm. it tends to lead to some form of authoritarian leader because then that power of yeah. nation or of connectedness is put on this figure who is the one who then ground, you know, uh, uh, a sense of, of like, we're all, you know, on this project. Yeah. We give our power to, to this figure, right? So yeah. that's why I... I I thought, you know, it's not, I'm not a, a, a psychoanalyst, it's everything but a fortune teller. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I did, I, I had no doubt that Trump was going to win. Yeah, absolutely. Time. Absolutely. Coming from Latin America, it seemed to mm -hmm. me the natural consequence. Mm -hmm. And I think that he might win again after, yeah. in, in a while, you see? Yeah. Uh, so, and again, these two things, it, it are related with people being too looking too much within themselves, yeah. right? within their selves, within their bodies, mm -hmm. right? And not looking outward into the public. Yeah, absolutely. Outward. I really like that because it's almost like, you know, the authoritarian, authoritarianism happens when, you know, with, through the inability to do politics. And I, I sometimes get, you know, find it annoying about the definition of the word political because for me, the word political means like precisely the interaction of people, you know, comes yes. from ancient Greek polis, people, you know, like the engagement, the messy engagement. And it's almost like, like you know, full of contradiction. Yeah. And it's almost by turning that messy engagement of contradiction into opposition, when people think that that opposition is what politics is. And so that's the failure of politics. Yes. And almost like there's a there's an Irish um, comedian who says war isn't conflict, it's the inability to do conflict. Yeah. And so it's almost like that escalation into those authoritarian systems is because precisely we haven't been able to do politics in the first place. And it's funny because I remember growing up, you know, sort of in the 90s where it's like, oh, it's too political. This is too political. You know, you shouldn't be political in your work or in your art, or whatever. But it's almost like the or I think that what has become the public definition of political is precisely the opposite of what political is. Like, exactly. it's, I think political is like the exposure of the universal. And I think psychoanalysis is really interesting because you have obviously have the dialectic there where it's like, you know, we're all particulars, we're all individuals, but like psychoanalysis is almost a vehicle or like a tool to help us access something universal. And so you can't have one without the other. And it's almost like a lot of this identity political stuff, like, yeah, very rightly, we're all particular and very, you know, it's very true that there's certain injustices, obviously, because of whatever system, but it's sometimes using, using, you know, the, the, the veil of a legitimate thing to carry out the, uh, like the annihilation of the political through, you know, using things that are actually, which makes it very difficult for people to kind of see what's going on, because like, 
you know, you can't argue with certain things because, of course, they're real things. But then it's like, well, what is that being used to prevent? Like, I guess it's an orientation question. It's like, can we use, say, a moment of injustice to access the universal? Or are we going to use that to seal ourselves off further and further and further into this inexorable particularity where, like, no, nothing can be resolved or no... Um, sort of conducive conflict can occur, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, and, and one thing that came to mind was that these authoritarian figures, they eliminate, that's, they eliminate the, um, they, you, you made a distinction, right, re- between the difference between conflict, mm-hmm. right? When was, did you said that the, what, the, you said something so like, about- contradictory sort of like messy contradictory politics versus a sort of political that's just turning the actual politics into opposition so it's sort of eliminating politics if that makes sense yeah so that the turning turning uh let's say contradiction into opposition is kind of like the failure of the political right yeah yeah so that's it that's what for example trump fed Mm -hmm. of was, yeah, exactly. was feeding up, right? Each time he would show, you know, something that was controversial, right? And it got the, let's say, the liberals and conservatives in this combative mm-hmm. uh, position where, yeah. like, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, there's no way. Uh, it. I always thought he, he it, and people were, this, uh, the liberals or progressives, they were always, mm-hmm. oh, this is the demise of Trump. Right mm-hmm. after he like made fun of this, of this, uh, you know, uh, uh, who was it? The, the, the journalist, the disabled the journalist. journalist. Yeah. Of, oh, this is the demise of Trump. After he yeah. made the comment about grabbing a pussy, that the was pussy, yeah. You see, but I think I always said no. That he feeds off this. Yeah, he's feeding exactly. off this, in, in the sense of you're saying, right? In 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 in, in this uh, in creating this opposition, right? Yeah. Instead of, and then he functions as this kind of like this, this uh, almost this, this, this patch, mm-hmm. like this yeah. giant patch over, right? Yeah. That almost in the, in the sense of like a, it's almost like a like a fetish that has yeah, a exactly. of a fetishistic disavow, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas that you you use you patch over reality, you register mm-hmm. it, you repudiate it, but you create a fantasy mm-hmm. over it uh, that that not, does not allow you to see the the contradictions, the differences, etc. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I think authoritarian leaders, fascist leaders, mm-hmm. and the extreme, they feed off these these things, right? Which is the, the absence totally of of mm-hmm. of, of the political. Um, but you were saying something else, and I and I and I oh, with the identity thing, uh, the yeah. identity politics. I, you know, as an analyst, I I am so I have to be careful because um, in the I think there's dangers when we when we hypothesize mm-hmm. the personal to the social, mm-hmm. right? And I think some people who use psycho I think psychoanalysis can be a uh, it, it is uh, a critical discourse, a tool to understand, you know, society and political phenomena, mm-hmm. right? But some of the theory that's used to analyze uh, 
the political, more broadly speaking, its origin is not the political, broadly speaking. Yeah. It's yeah. the individual. It's yeah. A, yeah. They're, they're clinical ideas, or they originally spring from clinical ideas. Mm -hmm. Even Freud, right, at the end, mm -hmm. when he does this interview at the end of his life in London, that is mm -hmm. the only recording that we have of Freud, he says that up until the end, all I wanted was to cure my neurotic patients. He says that after he's written, you know, uh, all his, his texts on culture, mm -hmm. uh, on society, et cetera, right? So there is this, it, it, it springs from something clinical. And Freud was always very, uh, in some of his lectures, he says that psychoanalysis cannot be a Weltanschauung, he says, right? Mm -hmm. it, can't mm -hmm. be a, it can't give us a panoramic view yeah. uh, of the world, and it shouldn't be. Well, maybe he was too influenced. Uh, he was thinking about it too in terms of, of it being a more like a scientific, scientific endeavor, mm -hmm. et cetera, beyond it. But we have to be careful. I'm not saying that it can't be done. Like, for example, how do we extrapolate individual trauma to collective trauma? Mm -hmm. Is, is it the same? Can we do it? Uh, does it? So we have to be careful, especially, you know, my background is, uh, I'm a psychoanalyst, but my background is in philosophy. So mm -hmm. I'm always kind of like in between those, those areas. So coming back to having <laughs> that also a disclaimer, uh, that when we come to identity, the idea of identity, I see it, clinically speaking, identity is, I see people who suffer because they don't, haven't developed a sense of identity. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the first thing I want to say, yeah. right? There are people who don't have a sense of themselves who and suffer immensely. Yeah. Suffer immensely, right? Uh, and um, so I wouldn't want to dismiss just like identity, like, well, identity is just kind of like, let's put it broadly speaking, it's mm -hmm. a bad thing. Um, People, because I've seen just the way, you know, once I, I became an analyst, I, I was more suspicious or a little bit more critical of all this kind of like exoticization yeah. of, of madness, for example, or yeah, schizoanalysis. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Schizo no, now that I, I you yeah. know, because I have seen psychotic mm -hmm. patients and I see it's everything but sexy or, or, yeah. or you know, <laughs> or, or. In the in the way it's many times portrayed within you know uh, post structuralism, for example, mm -hmm. in the yeah. or in other mm -hmm. other in other writings, right? In, in many ways, so I, I try to be very careful, and and mm -hmm. I think that comes from extrapolating what's an individual thing onto yeah. a more a more exactly. a broader social analysis, which I think it's the is his point. For example, in the case of Deleuze, uh, mm -hmm. so. Identity is important, uh, mm -hmm. and identity formation is important. So the, the issue is when does uh, identity become a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> Individually, and then we can start talking by perhaps by extension as a collective phenomenon, right? Yeah. As a political collective phenomenon where, let's say, the politics is and our interactions, mm -hmm. inter political interactions, are based on our identities or our belonging exactly. to a specific identity. Yeah. I think that's the question, right? Do you know, because I think the thing is, it's like, you know, the process of the formation of subjectivity, you know, it's not, it's not an immediate thing. It goes through, you know, you're a child for a long time, you're developing your sense of self. And as you say, like, 
this is where I think, you know, there is, there's a, a science of psychoanalysis or like a, a, you know, this factual basis where, you know, the, the science of subjectivity where you have, you know, the, the, the psychotic subject or the, the neurotic subject. And yeah, absolutely. Like you, you know, also things like repression, you know, there's early Freud and late Freud, like repression is not just something to throw out entirely. Like you, you have to yes, have an ego. Yes. And I think there's a lot of sort of um, failed um, sort of like, cultural slash attempting to be political stuff where it's like oh you know the family's all about repression or women are just repressed or whatever but it's it's much more complicated than just a buzzword or we're all the same in our subjectivity because you know because it's not you know it's like it's almost like the development of subjectivity is like a process it's not just a a biological matter of fact where you know we are all genetically identical it's like yeah, you know, there's a there's a there's a there's an ego, but certain things have to occur for that ego to solidly form. Yes. And you know, so it's not it's not just like I don't know, maybe I'm not making myself clear enough. But you know, there's like a temporal aspect to it and a whole yes. process type of aspect to it. So it's not just an immediate like I'm a piece of paper, he's a piece of paper. This is what the world looks like, you know, or like I'm a robot, he's a robot. We've got the same programming. You know, it's it's a whole yeah process type thing and so as you say like I, I feel really yeah it's a developmental process I think yeah right and yeah. there's a level uh there's an inherent aspect I, well, at least in Freud yeah. of this of 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 I'm not sure what, what, what I'm gonna say but if there's a historicism in Freud mm -hmm. yeah in the sense that you can't understand what x is unless mm -hmm. you understand how the becoming yeah, how, of X, yeah, the becoming X, yeah. of X, yes, right? Exactly. So there's, you can understand it in terms of development and the development for Freud is not something linear. You know, there mm -hmm. is, it's a back and forth. There's such a thing as deferred action or mm -hmm. or après coup, how the French call it. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's traversed by different temporalities, not just linear. Yeah but it's some form of, let's say, historical development, right? Yeah. Complex, right? But the thing then with identity is that is it is it has a function, right? In, mm -hmm. in, in creating this sense of, of let's say, coherence, uh, cohesiveness. Uh, it protects us from what, you know, Winnicott would call annihilation anxiety. Yeah. It comes from this fears of the dissolution this dissolution of, of identity. So you see, when you see that, you, you see like, well, if you put too much to the side on like, well, you know, uh, identity bad, like no yeah, identity, yeah, exactly. uh, deconstruction of identity good, and you see yeah. people who, who suffer from annihilation anxiety, mm -hmm. then you, feel, you see like, well, it makes you think. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, there are dangers definitely mm -hmm. with, with identity, with stressing things on a, an identity because ultimately mm -hmm. psychoanalysis, right? Is interested in, if you wanna see it from a Lacanian point of view or whichever point of view, it's, a, it's the subject of the unconscious, right? It's mm -hmm. not on mm -hmm. this identity, the, the egoic identity that we try yeah. to express our understanding, but it's the, it's, the, it's the understanding of the unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so, and the unconscious is everything is, it's the great the one that sabotages, uh, you know, insofar as it sabotages our best intentions, our, our intentions of coherence, of being uh, 
it is it is it is in 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 uh in some form uh i don't know if it's on an opposition to identity but maybe that's such too strong a word but it definitely frustrates our attempt at being coherent uh mm -hmm. uh, uh let's say people with mm -hmm. uh, a coherent identity right mm -hmm. so that's so in a way so then I don't know. I'm just rambling a little bit here no, no, it's good. It's okay. but to see what, what comes up out of it. Mm -hmm. So identity also can be used defensively. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, that's an important thing, right? Because the identity belongs to the realm of, uh, again, everything that, uh, what, 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 uh, Freud would call, you know, secondary processes, which is, a relation to reality, mm -hmm. rationality, coherence, co uh, all these different things, right? And and it functions as. Um, let, let me give you an example, right? If you if you see a somebody who's let's call a let's say a neurotic patient, they have a neurotic mm -hmm. symptom, right? A part of what what makes a neurotic symptom the neuro the neurotic suffer is the repetition. And the compulsivity, compulsivity of the same. Yeah. Right. You keep on doing the same thing over and over, no matter uh, how much you want not to do it, how much yeah. you know you shouldn't be doing it, but yeah. you can't. You can think about any form of compulsive behavior, or the just the insistence of of the symptom, right? Mm -hmm. And or the behavior, or a form of thinking, or a form of or of, of a somatic symptom, perhaps, mm -hmm. that recurring, recurring, recurring. So, so it's, 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 it's a form of, of, of compulsivity or repetition mm -hmm. that I think abides to the rules of, of the ego. Yeah. Right? And in that sense, complies with law and order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We could even expand a little more law, order, ideology, status mm -hmm. quo, right? Yeah. Because I, so that's, that's, that's a form of, of, we can think of the neurotic suffering in, in that way. So mm -hmm. it, it is, it has to comply to the order of intelligibility, yeah. of representability as well, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. to ourselves. That's all belongs to the realm of the ego, right? Yeah. And that causes suffering. Right. Yeah. And it's a it's an attempt, going back to what we were talking, at solving mm -hmm. a conflict. Absolutely. Yes. At solving it. Right. Yeah. 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 And failing at it. Yeah. Because these conflicts cannot be solved. They're exactly. Inherent, they're inherent to the psyche. Yeah. So again, so we can think of an identity as a failed attempt at solving mm -hmm. a contradiction. That's the first thing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I like, yeah, absolutely right. But then, but then there's a thing, just to pick up on that, that that's also at a certain stage of life, totally vital to happen, you know? But anyway. <laughs> but we, we need, that's the thing. Yeah. And we need yeah. these things too. Yeah, yeah. Right? We, yeah. We, it, it's, it, it can be a mode of, of, of survival mm -hmm. because I always say this, right? The neurotic suffering, let's say, oh, I keep going, I, in the other parts, I give this example, right? I keep going on, going out with people who end up uh, with the wrong kind of person, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always the, 
the right, wrong kind of person because yeah. it's always the same, the same dynamic. Of, the same dynamic, right? Yeah. And why do I do it? I keep finding myself. And you suffer, you suffer, you suffer, you mm -hmm. suffer. There's pain. But that suffering is preferable to some other form of suffering. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. This is what this, this um, dynamic, whatever mm -hmm. you're engaging in unconsciously, is an attempt at solving some form of conflict, right? Mm -hmm. It's a failed attempt. If it weren't, there's many ways in which we try to solve things and they, it's, it's a failed attempt because it, we suffer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. if, if, yeah. it were, if it were successful, we wouldn't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be suffering so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it is needed, but it's a failed attempt, mm -hmm. right? And I think identity could be thought of as that failed attempt. That's that mm -hmm. kind of like we were talking about that patching over. There's something authoritarian about the neurotic symptom, right? Mm -hmm. Almost, mm -hmm. almost fascist, maybe, right? It's like the, yeah, mind, yeah. the mind being a little bit fascist on our, on our. Well, you know, Nazism is blatantly identity, like a form of identity politics. You know, exactly, right? Yeah, so, so. I think, <laughs> so I think so. What I want to extend is that the maybe the mechanisms through which mm -hmm. this happens individually yeah. are somehow at work mm -hmm. within let's say um movements that are that are based solely and insistently on identity i think that yeah. the, the thing is the 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 compulsivity right the yeah absolutely the, 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 the stressing it so much yeah. Yeah. right or yeah. think that this is the only way mm -hmm. because there's so there's that for and i and again it's a way to comply with order, law of intelligibility and mm -hmm. representability. But there's mm -hmm. another, so that's why in psychoanalysis, when we're talking about neurotics, mm -hmm. the free associative process, mm -hmm. right? What it does, it's that it remobilizes, mm -hmm. right? The dynamics of non-identicality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It remobilizes these, these we can call them a form of like you know uh uh we could call it libido mm -hmm. aggressivity eros mm -hmm. uh let's call them the like these live uh life energies and forces they're remobilized mm -hmm. uh that are non-identical right they are not identitary yeah remobilized in a way that produces some form of estrangement within mm -hmm. the within this within subjectivity, and I think it's this. It attempts to somehow problematize the we want to think about it the apodicity of the mm -hmm. ego or of identity by remobilizing these forces, and it and in that sense it 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 is a form of destroys what identity takes to be real true. Mm -hmm. pragmatic, useful, productive, etc. right? So it opens up the space for something that is, can be new, can be yeah. perhaps enigmatic for the subject. Call it whatever is repressed. Uh, it gives voice, free association to a certain excess that means mm -hmm. being an embodied, uh, an embodied subjectivity, right? Mm -hmm. so, so in this sense, I remember, for example, in the, the movie, right? Yeah. The, the sexual scene, which is a very, yeah. very, I mean, it's, it's fascinating and very unexpected 
sex yeah. scene between uh, between the two main characters. And there's this moment of excess, right? That you can mm -hmm. see there. There's almost like a cry, uh, mm -hmm. pain, like a joyous, uh, estrangements from who they are, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond being human or being animal or being uh, or being a troll, where mm -hmm. you can see that coming up. Yeah. Right? yeah. That it feeds, I think, I identities or, yeah. or identity yeah. formation, right? Yeah. Um, so th that's the scene that I'm thinking. So I'll just... Cut yeah, you okay, <laughs> that when we when we ex so the question is how can we ex this process when it's extrapolated or it's the mechanism through which you know a politics is built up so we let's say let's say it can be extrapolated again it's needed remember the identity politics I think was born at the end of the seventies eighties uh, mm -hmm. by mostly uh, uh, women black women lesbian women of color that couldn't find their, uh, their voice within white feminism, et cetera. So they, so it, it has had a place as historical mm -hmm. place, right? And people find, some people I've seen, their lives have been saved by feeling that they belong to a given mm -hmm. identity. Mm -hmm. you see, the same as, so, so you see, the, but the problem is when you try to build a whole politics yeah. around it. And I think these, as, as if this could be this, uh, what the mind does, which it just try to solve these conflicts in, in some way, which I think yeah. at the end, is a, it's a fantasy. Absolutely. A fantasy. And that's what it's, I think, politically speaking, it's a dead end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like a sort of a utopian thing, right? Where it's like, I can avoid the messiness or this thing, you know, the, the, the neurotic thing, as you say, like the symptom for a, at a certain stage is preferable to what you would encounter otherwise but then the symptom becomes unbearable and so yeah you know we can kind of maybe see that our symptoms societally are, are becoming unbearable and that there is this huge horrible antagonism that we have to face which are like material conditions climate change all of these things that yes. maybe you know we could argue that this rise of this kind of politics is a response against because it's just too painful to really fully get to that zero point of being able to even assess what's really going on um, yeah, there are a couple of points you made, like, you know, the, the, the idea of like where identity politics like began, because it's almost like what we have now is it's really convenient. What it's morphed into is a really convenient avoidance mechanism of antagonisms that maybe generated the situation where, the, as you say, maybe the black lesbian women or whatever who who developed some of the ideas out of which this sort of weird thing has spawned, you know. So it's, it, it becomes a sort of like way of avoiding the actual situation. And then there was another thing that I just was thinking about in terms of like, you know, how material, so humans kind of like aren't natural. You know? It's like all of this stuff, it's not like, it's almost like in a way that the ego is like a reaction formation out, you know, is a response to the absolute chaos of the universe. And so it's not like there's some perfect solution or that this is like, oh, this is a thing and this is it. It's like, as you say, just talking about the process thing and that maybe, you know, there obviously one of my psychoanalyst friends is like, you know, we, we're, we're in a, like a really neurotic epoch and like she sees a lot of hysteria and stuff like that. And then another psychoanalyst friend is like, oh no, we're, we're in a very 
he's seeing more psychotic patients than ever. And obviously, you know, the emergence of a form of subjectivity is, you know, in relation to an early experience in your life, you know, it's not like necessarily you were born genetically psychotic or whatever. It's like, you know, certain yes. things happen. Yes. Yes. So the, what, what we're collectively experiencing, maybe on a wider level, is also a response to the material conditions in which we live. And then, it, yeah, it makes it really difficult because then if you have, if societally we're not even at this point of having the ego where we can safely tackle, probably, I don't know, it's, just, it's, it's really complicated, basically. It is complicated. I, several things, right, that, that yeah. listening to you came to mind. One is that uh, um, the, 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 this, the, originally the, the identity politics, uh, it was first used, I think it was the Combahee River Group or something mm -hmm. in 1974. Mm -hmm with which black lesbian women trying to find their place within, within uh, white uh, feminism, et cetera. But if we go back to the seventies, right? The seventies, mm -hmm. there was, um, if we even talk about, let's say the Black Panther movement mm -hmm. before, or there was an in your faceness. That's what I always yeah. call that. Yeah. They were yeah. everything but secluding themselves into you know safe spaces mm -hmm. they were out into confrontation yeah. very yeah. much the way black lives matter is i like that mm -hmm. movement very much because there's something an aspiration to a form of universality that i see mm -hmm. that it's not only about including black people and mm -hmm. diversifying is why how can we imagine a world in which a world mm -hmm. you know yeah. broadly speaking in which black lives matter, right? Mm -hmm. It has, I think, universal uh, aspirations. And it has mm -hmm. also an in-your-faceness that, mm -hmm. I, that I, I sometimes uh, miss in other mm -hmm. forms of political activism from what's called here, let's say, let's call it the left, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here in the United States. Um, so that's the first thing, that, that going out you know, outside yourself. And uh, even though, you know, the Black Panthers, they had all this inter internationalist aspirations, mm -hmm. this idea with solidarity with other, you know, uh, struggles all over the world, uh, Palestine, uh, in Latin America, et cetera, et cetera. It, was, it wasn't that, it was, a, a, it was a, a, a form of criticism of capitalism that did not leave aside questions of race, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody's saying that these things of questions of race and gender, ethnicity are not important. I mean, I see that every day and I work on it every day, but it's how do we articulate these things within, let's say a movement of movements that is mm -hmm. able to really confront, let's say the, let's call it broadly speaking, the capitalist uh, world structure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which can, so, so, so that's the first thing. I miss that that in your faceness that I think, and then going back to what you're saying, sometimes identity politics, which you know, identity politics, people from identity politics, they tend to criticize people who tend to emphasize the class struggle, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. you're an old school mm -hmm. Marxist class reductionist. The class reductionist, all that. Yeah. But I heard in another interview somebody talking about, but but identity politics is a class politics, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, uh, 
it's it it has changed into yeah. a very middle class yeah, yeah. thing. I know this is the point I make a lot that like we're talking about you know I I just found it really funny a few years ago it was like 2019 maybe that this class reductionist thing was being thrown around but you were like well that's a very that's a very potentially classist thing to be doing you know <laughs> class reductionist but yeah anyway yes it is because yeah. let me give you a concrete example yeah. right the, the use of the word latinx right that began you know, uh, with um, within uh, mostly, let's say, queer movements, the X, mm -hmm. you know, signal the, the non-binary, yeah. et cetera. And then it started uh -huh. to become more extended into the X signaling that, you know, uh, it's true. La La Latinos and Latinas are an heterogeneous group, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's people who come from the Caribbean, other people from Argentina, yeah. other people yeah. from... You know, they're very, yeah, very different yeah, backgrounds. Yeah, very, yeah. So the X started to signal that. But again, it's within mm -hmm. academic and middle-class yeah, exactly. educated circles. If I use yeah. Latinx in my local bodega, <laughs> there's two possibilities. That they don't understand what the hell I'm saying, or yeah. that I think that I'm a pretentious son of a bitch. Exactly. Which I would be. For but sure. this is the thing, because it's like, <laughs> again, well, is it being used for, you know, because a lot of, you know, if you're doing like a sociology of middle class values, there's a lot of sort of dis distinction, distinguishing one as self as having the correct, you know, up to date, um, culturally appropriate uh, positions, as opposed to, you know, distinguishing yourself and, you know, that my money signifies that I can, I can think about things more than just getting to the end of the month, you know. So is this, is this just sort of like, you know, to use the word, you know, a token thing or like using something to signify one's class position as somebody who has a set of, you know, luxury beliefs or, you know, set of ideas that distinguish oneself. It's very patronizing. You know? well, it's very patronizing. And, it's, and yeah. it ties into this uh, a form of authoritarian... Uh, yeah left, uh, uh, what is it? <laughs> Liberal left, left or whatever. No, leftism, right? Like leftism, can, right, yeah, yeah. Right, you can talk, let's think about uh, Stalinism, for example. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean. Is the yeah. belief, or when, when the left becomes authoritarian, which yeah. is, has had to. Yeah, yeah. In many, many expressions, in many yeah. countries, it's this idea that um, if you, I'm going to, let's say somebody says, well, I disagree with you. Well, mm -hmm. it's because you're, ide you're ideologized in some way, mm -hmm. and then you're, you know, the capitalist system has occluded your capacity to think. So yeah. I'm going to make you know the truth, which, yeah. which implies that I know what's the, what the truth is. Right? But again, this is this whole thing of being like an, an undivided subject it's like it's, it's 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 like this utopian deifying thing of like you, you know to be a human is to be fucking confused you know so exactly you know, yes, and, and it was, yes. again it's this as you're talking about stalin and all this kind of stuff it's it's using the signifiers these sort of floating signifiers that have historically been related to class struggle emancipation to precisely avoid those things now to precisely 
get us away from the political, which is, you know, how, like, for instance, this cancel culture thing, it's like, well, how are you supposed to do politics if, as you say, the in-your-faceness is required, you know, in order to do the politics, and as you say, like the black, you know, it's at a time where an, an antagonism is expected, you know, so it's like one side of a multiplicitous story, but it's like, well, you can't even get to that point. But it, again, like not only in the political thing, but like to, to go back to the, the human, it's like, well, each and every person that's say like part of an, you know, from X identity, it's like, well, that there's a gazillion ways in which all of those people are also different, you know? So it's like, yes, yeah. Very true. And people are afraid to speak about those differences within mm -hmm. these identitarian groups because they're afraid that they're going to be canceled. And yeah. cancellations are terrible. They're sadistic. They're yeah. like, like Stalinist purges, yeah. right? They make, you, they make you confess that I was wrong. It happened in Stalin. It happened in, in Cuba. There's some people who still, I mean, I'm very critical also of the Castro regime against yeah. many of my left-wing uh, Latin American friends because mm -hmm. I, well, that's another story. But, but yeah. this idea, yeah. like, like in, the, in the Padilla case, which was this writer in, 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 in Cuba, that they made him, you know, through public, again, it's the same thing, pro public tribunes of accountability, right? It's the same thing of accountability. Make him say, Oh, I was confused. I was wrong. I apologize, and this and this or that, and then all that self-flagellation, and that in the best of the cases, the worst of the cases, they were just sent to jail, or mm -hmm. or in the case of Stalinism, yeah, yeah. etc. Yeah. So again, it's this idea that you're trying to fight precisely against this, but mm -hmm. you're falling into because you feel that you're the the source of the truth. And mm -hmm. somehow that you have to um, kind of like help the other realize, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even, even by forceful measures, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I, you know, that's that's one danger yeah. of, of of identity politics. And I, I again, I I'm all for people, um, you know, respect and care mm -hmm. for people. I if people you know, uh, that however they want to be, you know, called. I, I, I it's for me, it's, yeah, just, absolutely. It's, it's just common human, uh, you know, uh, what, what would be the word? It's, it's common. Well, like uh, decency, it's, decency. It's, it's polite. You know? it's, decency. it's common yeah. human decency. I think decency, yeah. uh, yeah. Agnes Heller, that I, I, I worked for her for a while at the new school, mm -hmm. she always, try to, to recover the, the concept of decency within yeah. the political world. It's decency for me, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But then within the realm of the political, mm -hmm. as you said, things have to get messy. Yeah, We're gonna fuck up. We're gonna say the yeah. wrong thing. We're gonna hurt people, even if mm -hmm. we don't want to. And just like in therapy, I always say, mm -hmm. if things don't get messy in therapy and analysis, something is going wrong. Yeah. And yeah. Some, normally if something is going wrong because the analyst is trying to neutralize conflict or so, something that might be anxiety producing. Things mm -hmm. have to get messy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the same in the space of the political. And I mm -hmm. always stress that. Common decency, mm -hmm. respect, 
but not this fear that we're going to say the wrong thing or mm -hmm. this, this self, ultimately a self-censoring, which yeah. occurs at a very unconscious level. People are not thinking about it anymore. Yeah. Well, this is the thing as well, like language as well, censoring language, like the, you can see how sort of a lot of the psychoanalytic in insights get sort of neutralized and weaponized where it's like, well, words are important and words are equal violence, or whatever. But it's like, well, no, words are important, but almost not in the way that we think that they're important. It's like you, you have to be able to say the things, you know, yeah. in order to be able to have the thoughts, you know, almost. You know, so they are really powerful, but they're not. But it's not the same as, yeah, having. But yeah, and they can harm some people. But it's not, but it's almost sort of like extracting all of the, you know, I'm uh, helping teach this course on Hegel at the moment. And, you know, Hegel's all about like dialectics and complexity and process and stuff. And it's like, you, yes. you can't have like one aspect of the thought without the other. And it's almost like we've cut out any of the sort of like unconscious contributions or dialectical aspects of our way of thinking and just like, honed in on this, this key concrete set of ideas and you know use them to whatever to support whatever you know self-turreting that we have to make sure that we're not doing politics and it, yeah and it's just it's it, as you say this is the thing that I guess with a, as, a, as an analyst you see all the time it's like we always find ways to well as a, if you know a neurotic subject to do the same thing very cleverly differently you know so you'd be like right okay I'm in this terrible relationship with somebody. It's the wrong dynamic. So next time, okay, I'm gonna, what's this person like? Well, he's got blonde hair and he plays rugby and he is from this country. So next time I'm just gonna not. And that's the creativity yeah. of the- Yeah, it's very creative. I'm yeah. gonna make what's different the same all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, but maybe maybe we should talk like very briefly just in the last like 10 minutes or so about the film. This always happens, but I really, I really appreciate, you know, everything you're saying I think, you know, for listeners, being able to break it down in that way is so important because I think a lot of people have this instinct about what's happening, but really being able to break, bring it to like the, the level of the symbolic where we can like actually have a way of explaining it. You There's know. no way, as I was trying to explain before with mm -hmm. a free association to like mm -hmm. liber kind of like, uh, like take things out of the realm of this repetition of this, yeah. this insistent repetition, mm -hmm. uh, right? Uh, out of this self-sameness into yeah. allowing, you know, the, the, the free flow of, of difference, right? Yeah. There's no way out of that unless we, uh, um, let me see how to put it. We are in touch where, with the unconscious. Yeah, yeah exactly. And what's tragic about it, in, in a way, is that the only way of being in touch with the unconscious is with another. Yeah, yeah. And then since it's with another, mm -hmm. it's unavoidable, uh, unavoidable yeah. that there's going to be misunderstandings, there's going to be things that are going to hurt people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what mm -hmm. we, and I think that's what, you know, the, the political is, is made of. And we should, and yeah. I think more and more people are, are realizing that. But again, mm -hmm. this is a middle class phenomenon. It's a class thing. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And all the changes in language, in language related to identity politics, cancel culture, et cetera. Again, I go to my local, I work with mostly uh, people of color. I've worked mm -hmm. with poor uh, 
working class people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything about this. It's yeah, not exactly. living. It is taking it is no, like last or yeah. this or yeah. that. It's not they're worried about, of course. I'm not yeah. saying that there isn't they suffer from racism, but they mm-hmm. also suffer from the uh, class differences, which are exactly and, and also you know much more important in my experience yeah. as a therapist than mm-hmm. issues that pertain to identity many more, more times because exactly this is about how am I when am I gonna eat? How am I, I know gonna- and this is the, the fundamental antagonist like every every like you know way we organize any society because we live in this sort of chaos moss is is there's always going to be a contradiction that we try to be for and like like the class contradiction is so blatantly the contradiction of the capitalist era like it so obviously is but it, it is just kind of perverse that you know in order to prevent that from being seen the use of emancipatory language and emancipatory sort of hollowed out ideas are used precisely to prevent what could actually be the most emancipatory thing, you know, from happening or like, you know, and also what could prevent further down the line, you know, the most egregious forms of racism and, you know, toxic identitarianism. Because, you know, again, this utopian idea, if we look at the, the fascistic Nazi thing, it's like we can, you know, we've suffered post-Treaty of Versailles, all of these economic issues, hyperinflation, blah, blah, blah. We can get away from this issue to this utopian world as long as we get rid of these groups. And it's like, well, you know, so, so that, that those issues related to those groups, you know, are, are, are part of this attempt to paper over the actual antagonism. It's this, this group's taking my jobs or this group's, you know, preventing me from flourishing or whatever. And it's like, well, the world could look very different if we have a di- had a different sense, this different way of approaching and dealing with these antagonisms in the first place. I agree. I have to stress that also yeah. uh, something I learned in in, yeah. in in with Latin American politics, in which yeah. I was very involved. I used to mm-hmm. be very you know be part of an NGO. I wrote every week for the newspaper on on political issues. I was very very involved mm-hmm. in marches, in seeing people killed next to me on a march. Mm-hmm. So, I've seen it, believe me, I can tell you that in a way I come from the future. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And one thing that I've also learned is that I agree that maybe uh, class might be the ultimate antagonism within a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. And that we, I agree, I, I tend to agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's man, the manifestations of, mm-hmm. of, of these, you know, disparities, uh, injustices mm-hmm. manifest themselves to in the form of racism, misogynism, mm-hmm. you know, transphobia, all sorts of different things mm-hmm. that we all we have to attend to right now. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. We can't wait. Something that what I learned is that yeah. people have only one life. Yeah, absolutely. Life is absolutely. short. And we yeah. can't promise people, well, we're not gonna, that's what I, my criticism mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. left is like, well, we're working towards this, it, it, which is always mm-hmm. placed in the future, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Right? But what about now? People no, have absolutely. a life now. Yeah. Why would people, no. so that's why I wanna yeah. say that 
we yeah. also have to stress on these work on these injustices that are related mm -hmm. to gender, race, et cetera, mm -hmm. probably not in, a, in an identitarian way, maybe mm -hmm. from a psychoanalytic point of view, mm -hmm. but there are issues, even if they're yeah. products of, of ultimately capitalism in a mm -hmm. way, right? Mm -hmm. I have no way, I tend to think about this, I have no way of, I mean, mm -hmm. this is a thought. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I haven't done the sufficient, sufficient yeah. Because it's in the mind. I don't know if this is true or not, but let's suppose it is. But if it's a byproduct, we also have to attend to these things, which I also see people suffering from. Mm -hmm. In addition to many times, and that's what I also see, mm -hmm. people are more worried about class differences than about race mm -hmm. differences, mm -hmm. especially poor, very poor, mm -hmm. and working class people. And that's yep. why, you know, that's the phenomenon. Why did Trump got, got half of the votes? Yeah. I know, I, I do think, I think basically like part of the issue with the sort of capitalism thing is it's like, well, what, what is, what does capitalism even mean? You know, because I kind of feel like what it is, is the attempt to turn opposition into, is it a contradiction into opposition? And so okay. I see capitalism as not just the monetary form. I mean, the monetary form is like the man, you know, the way it sort of manifests, whatever, but like capitalist thinking or capitalist mode of sort of libidinal investment in the future happens in all sorts of ways. And you can see it now, like with, I see with my generation where, you know, money is less, there's less money around to be had, but there, you know, there's, there's sort of ways to accumulate on all different kinds of planes. And it's sort of this, this belief in this ideology of promise of like, as long as I do this, I will get this and I will feel transcendentally more happy. But of course, it can never work. So I feel like capitalism, like one of the things, I feel like psychoanalysis can tell us so much about capitalism because it's not just this sort of like way of organizing money. You know, it's like, it's a whole, it's, it's, it's almost like- It's a libidinal investment too. That's Yes, exactly. And I feel like a lot of the questions of just like class conflict really do not incorporate what, you know, potentially we can say capitalism actually is on a more subjectival level. And again, you know, then, then you can end up having the same sort of dynamic in a different orientation or in different kind of spheres, because it's like not, it's not, it's about, you know, money is, a, it's like a value signifier, but like in this, I, I don't know, I think things are sort of changing as well on, in terms of like money and everything like that. But like, I think it's, it's just, yeah, when it's, I, I, I hate the term class reductionist, and I obviously think that like the class antagonism is like super key, but I feel like often there is something really missing from, from an understanding of, and like economics basically, like almost the only ways of studying economics that are provided are all just sort of like, you know, ways to best manage money <laughs> rather than like a, a libidinal economy. And I guess the ultimate thing that I was trying to say with that is, there was a point that I was going to say, and I kind of forgot it. Um, but yeah, is this sort of like, so yeah, that this investment in the future is, capitalism is all about a futurality. And this orientation, as you say, towards like a here and now, like what are the issues that we have to deal with in the here and now, you know, is is really key. And yeah, as, as we were saying, like, yeah, cl class is a, is a key thing. But as you say, there's, of course, all sorts of like very blatant issues that if we orientate ourselves towards just a future, and I think this is where, yeah, we can have a right-wing deviation of the left of like, oh, well, we can create a better world where we get rid of class antagonism. But like, what about all the other antagonisms or antagonism as such? Yeah, I, I basically, I, 
I yes. kind of get exactly what you're saying. I think what's missing is an understanding of how capitalism functions in terms of libido, basically. Yes, I think so. And well, many even of some people feel that uh, identitarianism, if you want to call it that way, is an expression. It's like the uh, or identity politics is mm -hmm. the, the that is the the let's say the, the the part of the ideology right now of the left, at least here in the United States. Yeah, not all the left. Some people feel that it's the 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 ideological expression of neo neoliberalism, right? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. the sense that well, now you can you know choose amongst different identities, etc. I'm just leaving it out there. I don't I don't know. These are these are for me, you know, uh, problematic <laughs> issues because yeah. I feel that uh, my my inclination is towards what you're saying is towards exposing antagonisms as an analyst. Mm -hmm. That's you know, fundamental or conflict in many ways. And that's what my mind moves towards, right? And yeah, yeah. Working and, and with people individually. And when I think about the world in general and not being so anxious about, about, about dealing with them. Dealing yeah, with them. yeah. So, you know, somebody says that, you know, when you, when you, when somebody has a, a neurotic symptom and, and it's a result of a, a failed attempt at, at solving a, a conflict, when the symptom is, is resolved, it's not that the conflict is resolved. <laughs> you see? Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not, it's not about resolving the, sim the, the conflict. The, yeah. the symptom might disappear, but the conflict remains. That's exactly it, because I think this is the thing where it's like the ordinary unhappiness thing. And actually just talking about like, you know, um, how, this podcast I've discovered is a way to sort of like work out what you think. Because actually what you you were saying earlier has really made me think about something in relation to the class thing and the identity thing, which is maybe, you know, that like part of the reason why the class reductionist thing stings so much is that it's like, as you say, yeah, it's not the only antagonism, but like it's the antagonism that's not being getting dealt with necessarily by, by that. And as you say, like antagonisms, like, jo Joyce, I think it's in Finnegan's Wake, he uses this word chaos boss. <laughs> I think it just like really well captures like the world is not, you know, mother nature is not some like benevolent, whatever, you know, the universe is not taking care of us. It's like a chaotic thing. And we, yeah, you know, and Marx was right in that like, you know, each, each, um, uh, societal order, sorry, I just came to take something sidle in the but each societal order, you know, just pushes the antagonism somewhere else. And yes. our job is to identify what the antagonism is in each each thing. And then the mistake is predicting that you can get rid of antagonism, which is obviously, you know, the start. I think thing. so, yes. But like, you know, just as with ordinary unhappiness, it's like, you know, you don't go to psychoanalysis necessarily. You might be less toxically melancholic or depressed, but you still got to like live in a sort of slightly shit universe, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and that's what people call, you know, like Freud's pessimism, which I've never found it pessimistic, you know, like in yeah. civilization and his discontents. It's, oh, that's the pessimistic Freud. No, I don't think it's he's a pessimist. Yeah. You see, he's just uh, very aware, again, mm -hmm. that, that again, one, the, we, don't, we don't live in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an order, a world uh, that is taking care of us. He, he believes, you know, a lot, he says, everything is the result of, 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 he says, of part of it is chance, right? He talks mm -hmm. about chance, chance, things yeah. just happen to us, right? That's the other thing, right? 
things just happening. Uh, that sometimes, uh, well, let's say a trauma, for example, it's just something that happened to us that we couldn't that we couldn't predict, mm -hmm. right? right? Or the creation of a fetish in his paper on fetishism, right? Why did we choose uh, the, 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 the shoe as a fetish? He says, well, because it's the last thing we saw before we saw the, the, the women's genitalia and saw that there, there wasn't a penis there, right? <laughs> so we connected to the last thing we saw, mm -hmm. right? Again, it's a chance encounter mm -hmm. with something. Mm -hmm. In that sense, I'm very much, and I read it a bit about, uh, for example, Althusser and his in his materialism of the encounter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read that. It's one of you know he's it's his last work after he, you know he he was <laughs> he killed his wife, um, and and uh, and then he was put you know under a probably he he saw he, he suffered from uh, from bipolar disorder was manic depressive disorder. And in a state of probably a psychotic state, he killed her. He strangled her, and then he was put in jail in, in the uh, Ecole Normale, where he had a room there. So they came, pick, picked him up, they put him in the in the in the. He was he was hospitalized, and they declared him insane to be. So he wasn't he wasn't processed, right? But he was he was in a hospital for a while, and then. Uh, he wrote this very interesting a uh, book. Well, I'm now it's a tangent, right? right? Whatever he wrote a book that I recommend that is called, uh, well, in French it's called "L'avenir du longtemps," uh, the the future lasts uh, a long time or something. That would be yeah, the future lasts a long time. Yeah. And he talks about his experience in killing his wife, and how he can't give an account of how it, it happened. Yeah. He just woke up with his wife's neck in his in his in his uh in his uh between his in his hands and then after that he starts writing about what's called the materialism of the encounter mm -hmm. so he spends all he spent it all his life trying to to give a uh give a philosophical account of of marxism and he ends up which was you know based on structure i mean a lot of structuralist ideas and he ends up talking about uh, the what he calls the encounter, mm -hmm. that things just happen by chance, That's that, that social formations happen by chance, right? That even antagonism is the result of, of chance encounters. Mm -hmm. So just talk, I just, I really recommend these, these last papers that he wrote as they're fascinating. Uh, he, he, he calls, he relates it to the klinamen, in, in, in that this idea that sometimes something suddenly happens, something happens that alters the configuration of, mm -hmm. of a society or of, uh, of the life in a person, right? What might be called, it's kind of like a little bit of a philosophy of, of, the, of an event, of the event. Mm -hmm. But you, but, but independently of but you, I think. So in Freud, there's this importance also of chance, mm -hmm. I think. That's very important. And that sometimes conflicts arise out of chance things, right? We, mm -hmm. For him, we, we, we live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a world that it, it has no purpose, that is not oriented in this or that way. You know, in that sense, he was very critical of Marxism in that sense of mm -hmm. this, you know, the Marxism historicism, that, right? or the, a certain interpretation of, 
of, of Marx that, you know, that, that the history has a certain like strict uh, development, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he says, no, there is no, there is no development. We're not, he even, he's even critical of progress in civilization and his discontents that we're not moving towards something better necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, we put all these pictures, right? The, the, the world society is not moving towards anything. All there is are, is chance and antagonisms. Yeah. And, that's, <laughs> and that's what we have to live with. Yeah, no, but you know what? I think this is really, really key because I think that sometimes, just as we say like a certain identity set has like a transcendent values, there is also sort of like a way of misrecognizing and certain like antagonism between groups or whatever, class, whatever, are, are contingent. You know, it's not like, as in there's a historic, like there's a material reality of like an X year, X boat was sent there, or in X environment, X sort of things develop. And instead of it being sort of some religious or sort of like, you know, because a lot of this purity culture stuff and identity politics has a lot of a real religious quality that like, you know, the X group is transcendentally blah. X group, you know, in this orientalist sense that X group from this country, you know, are like magical and they can tell us and they have so much to teach us white people or something, which is, you know, seriously racist because it's like completely dodging what the reality of a human being's experience is and what humans actually are made out of. But, you know, like just even reduce it, not reducing it, but like expressing this sort of contingent thing does also get people's defenses down because, you know, you know, it is a lot of this sort of magical thinking and like religiosity that humans have a tendency towards is to avoid, avoid the, the trauma of contingency. But that is like a, a total fact of life. I, I agree with you. And I want two things. Mm -hmm. the, that antagonisms are contingent or that they might be displaced onto something else, right? Yeah. Like yeah. one antagonism that was, well, we could see it here, was simply moved on into another arena under another yeah. expression, right? Yeah. In regards to placing the this, you know, disadvantaged other as the one who you know, this exotization of the disadvantaged mm -hmm. other, of the sub subaltern, right, in, in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not in a way, the, the, the exotization of the subaltern. That's why you were talking about this Orientalism. Um, it is, I think, because, and this, we might get very Hegelian here, and I know you like Hegel, is that I think there is this, if we think of the master-slave dialectic, mm -hmm. I think it's the master mm -hmm. exoticizing the slave mm -hmm. yeah. so that when the slave recognizes the master they get the greatest amount of satisfaction yeah 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 so i think that's the plan again of the a lot of bold people uh and like it's like oh these are and again it's it's nothing new it happens yeah. it has happened it's as old as it as as even believing in in the in the you know old school left that mm -hmm let's say the secret of the transformation of society was in poor people, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. That that was, let's say the poor people, that was the working class. You can see that in Marcuse, right? He yeah. says, he goes on to the working class. No, it's not the working class, it's women. He's changing all the time. No, it's not yeah, women, yeah, yeah. it's this. He's moving, moving, and then he, he's always yeah. moving as, the, as history moves. Yeah. And he's changing what's the sub the revolutionary subject, right? 
And again, but so this is old, is as old, and it's happened. I mean, I come from Latin America and I'm tired of people exoticizing revolution yeah. in Latin America that have yeah, yeah, yeah. fucked up Absolutely. a lot of people. So I always Absolutely. feel like like you know, like intellectuals here from the United States, which I call they do teletheory, teletheory, yeah. right? In the United States or in Europe, right? They're in their in their, let's say, a, a French intellectual in Paris, West Wing, the gauche caviar, right? Eating and blah. And they're talking about what, you know, how the revolution should be in Latin America. We're the fucking still the, the bon sauvage. The, we see the good savages. But when the revolution comes home, they're not so revolutionary anymore. They want yeah. it very, very far away from them. But what they want is that when the exoticize, in this case, Latin American progressive people, they want us, when we come back and we say, oh, these are our allies. Thank you for, you know, writing such and such. Or, and they get a huge amount of satisfaction from that, right? I, I know, I know. It's, um, I lived in Africa for a while as a teenager. <laughs> so it really does, you know, um, not to say that, you know, is it, I mean, like, it's not it's not like an experience that teaches taught me anything or anything like that but you know you do you do as you say experience this thing <laughs> oh it's all happening over there and you know oh then we can send aid and and all of these people the thing i guess the thing that pissed me off the most about all of that experience is you read and it stopped me it, it turned me off of anything sort of like remotely political for like ages was you'd read as you say these columns or these you know even George Clooney was out there as some UN ambassador and like, yes. and you just just like, this is, this doesn't, this is a total fantasy based on whatever you need as an outlet for your own ideological framework back home. Yes. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's, it's much more complicated than, yeah, than a, so much. But I guess the point being, maybe we should wrap it up because Carlos, I know you have to go very I soon. And a... what I will say people is, Border is a very good film, Swedish film, 2017. We're going to talk about it. And if you watch it, maybe some of these ideas will percolate in your mind through watching the story. My question was with Border, I, mean, well, I don't know how yeah. many minutes we have. It's, it's what is it, right? Is a, if if yeah. we think about it in terms of identity politics, identity is an important thing in the movie, definitely. But I was always, as I watched it and thinking about our conversation, is it a defense of identity politics? Is it a criticism of identity politics? Does it really, uh, you know, confuse us in a productive way in which we don't really know uh, mm -hmm. if it's the, even identity is the center of, you know, it's the, the main thing to be focused on? I don't know, I, that, that's what I was thinking. I, I, don't, I don't know if I have an yeah. answer. I think I think that the yeah film, film is so good at, at, at not providing an answer necessarily, but sort of exploring ideas. But th there was something about the film that I was kind of thinking about, which was that I think it's a response to on a level, you know, um, eugenics in Nordic countries like Scandinavia at a certain period of time, and then sort of like the return of the repressed, maybe in this uh, troll figure who's seeking vengeance. But then, like, is the vengeance the solution or? you know, is it a necessary catharsis or, you know, what is the response to that? Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's like, that's like a whole different thing, but yeah. Or if you can build if somehow, and that's also an experience that I, I saw in Venezuela, 
Mm -hmm. If you can build a politics around resentment, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, around vengeance, and he's you know uh, what's his name? Sordig or uh, the the main characters? His name is it's Tina. I can't remember. I watched it a month ago. So I can't uh, remember the character's name. I forgot his name, uh, mm -hmm. but she was Tina, and his I forgot his name. But he has this vengeance, right? Because mm -hmm. of everything that humans have done to trolls in the past, mm -hmm. we have been. Imagine some experiments, something about in the order of eugenics, something along those lines. And then he has this vengeance of substituting these unfertilized, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, I don't know what he calls them, like these the unfertilized uh, beings somehow mm -hmm. that come out of, of him or her, because we don't really, you know, in terms of gender, we're not really sure. Uh, um, and, and then substituting them for human kids, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, these kids circulate in a, you know, kind of like a circle of, of, of pedophilia, uh, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, right? But there's a vengeance and a resentment. You can see the resentment in him. And my, my thought was that if, if the movie is somehow about, somehow about identities, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let's say the troll identity as the identity of the outsider, the one who has mm -hmm. been, uh, ostracized, suppressed, oppressed, uh, how, whatever language we want to use, depending on our, our political inclination, uh, is, can you build, does identity politics breed resentment? And if resentment can't be used as a, can't can be politically productive or not, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think in, in some cases in the movie with Tina, right, specifically, mm -hmm. she, I think she says, well, she can't go along with his plan. She doesn't want to go mm -hmm. with him to the, this place where he promises all the trolls live, mm -hmm. you know, happily ever after. It has that fairy tale component to mm -hmm. it, the movie. Uh, but she says, well, I'm not human, but I could also, but I can still feel compassion. Yeah. In a sense, like, I wonder if like Tina represents some form of, solidarity beyond identities and his name i can't remember his name it's interesting vore 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 yeah, that's right, that's vore. right. Yeah. he represents the more you know uh a version of identity politics that is more resentful mm -hmm. and that might lead to you know in his case isolation right because yeah. of him having to build a a little society of its own with other with the other trolls. That's a worse song thought that I had. It's interesting that that idea of resentment and resentment, whatever. That it obviously, yeah. There's there's things that are like bad that have to be acknowledged, and like maybe certain retro. I don't know forms of. I mean, there's a whole theory about like that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's a there's both the futurality and a historicism related to the Vora character, and that maybe that the, the the more sort of presentist or not presentist, but like you know engaging in what is material, what is there in the moment is is the Tina character, you know, because the Vora characters, you know, I'm, I'm through this enactment of of revenge, I can exact some future, you know, betterment on my behalf and behalf of my people, and it's also you know attached to to what went on in the past. But I don't know. I don't know. I, this this is the great question. <laughs> like, how do you how do you resolve conflict? Like, because the problem with the resentment is that many times again we're talking about capitalism, and capitalism mm -hmm. definitely breeds resentment amongst mm -hmm. the the you know the lower oppressed classes. And it's a lot has been written about about resentment or resentment, however you want to call it, 
but it's this idea that it's it can be about and even Fanon talks about it when he when he's talking about about uh, black people in relation to white people is about and some form of resentment. It can be about taking their place, mm-hmm. right? It's not about changing the the, the conditions that mm-hmm. that produce these these mm-hmm. differences and these injustices, but about me. Ultimately, I mean, let's say Vore becoming like, mm-hmm. or the or the troll society becoming the human society and taking mm-hmm. precedence, or be or being like them, mm-hmm. uh, or in the case of of uh, if Fanon talks about that, like the ultimately black people wanting to be like the white people, mm-hmm. wanting to be like the white people mm-hmm. and take their place, right, yeah. and just then ultimately reproducing the same system. Yeah. 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 Which is a form of also trying to solve a, 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 an antagonism, you see, by through identification. Uh, and I think it's just to go back, because I, I know you have to go like any second. I would just to go back to what we we're saying about the libidinal investment in the future and how like a lot of the class politics again like renders innocent, you know, a whole group when actually you know some of the, you know, just obviously the, the material conditions are like you know whatever, but. All kinds of people have an investment in this futurality of if I get this, if I transcend, if I have enough money, if I go on holiday, I'll, you know, all of this stuff. It so and every it's it's like almost a universal, though it's certainly a neurotic thing, you know. So so and and people of different you know um, backgrounds and identities do share that. <laughs> so you know, and, yeah, this sort of replacement thing of like, well, and this is what I sometimes think about, like a lot of the discourse about women and women leaders and like. Now that all the head of the top five arms dealing corporations are women, you know, as if women are going to be different. But like, you know, women are still engaged in this this libidinal investment in, yeah. yeah, in avoiding the antagonisms of the present by projecting a fantasy future that will never arrive because it just it will always remain a fantasy. So, yeah, that's also a thing. You know, the uses of fantasies they're very powerful, and fantasies are, and again, I think it has this. Uh, again, the fetishistic, uh, fetishistic structure. The yeah. fantasy is a patch over uh, something that is uh, produces anxiety. Yeah. Which, if we return it back to Freud, it's a lack, mm-hmm. right? It's the fantasy that women don't have a penis, which is a fantasy too, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, uh, Freud doesn't call it a fantasy. He calls it a reality, by the way, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Then he has been corrected, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, right? Uh, in the fantasy, as if, as if oh, no, he says about the fantasy of castration, that there, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that he says of it, yeah, women are, he, 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 there's a moment of confusion in him between the reality of castration versus the the fantasy of castration mm-hmm. right in, in in that moment but in any case it is about a fantasy that tries to patch over a lack yeah absolutely. and i think that's a fundamental thing right yeah. and you can tie it into the to the to the identity and the ego he talks about freud says the ego is the sedimentation of lost loved objects yeah he says exactly. it in one place, or the character of the ego is built basically the mm-hmm. same thing. 
So the ego is not this proteic being able to, you know, make and destroy worlds. It's a mournful being from the get-go. And it's, it's constituted by lack. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the fantasies are fantasies that cover up for that lack. At the core of, of, you might call it subjectivity, depending on the language we use, mm-hmm. at, the core, at the core of who we are mm-hmm. as people. Absolutely right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely key. But we'll um, we'll leave it there. And this has been a really fascinating conversation. Thank thanks you. so much, Carlos. It was really, really great. Oh, thanks for and, having me. Um, and you have a book out, is that right, that people can maybe buy well, online? I, the book. I have an essay in a book that's called Psychoanalysis in El Barrio. Okay. Uh, uh, that it's called, the, uh, it's on the political potentiality of the psychoanalytic process. Mm-hmm. So it very much has to do with this. Uh, you know, there's lots that's been written on how psychoanalytic discourse can be politically relevant, et cetera. But I'm interested in how the, the clinical psychoanalysis can be, in what sense can it be political? Yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, people watching, it's called Psychoanalysis in the Barrios. So that's, I have an essay there and other essays online. I mean, uh, uh, there's yeah. one on Still Point Magazine that you can check out that's called uh, Totemizing the Taboo. Um, so I have stuff, you can Google that. I have stuff online there. Um, awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on and enjoy your next session. I know you have a session at, at 10. So <laughs> this is, it always ends up going so long because I just get so into the conversation. But um, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and speak to you soon.